The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Bob McCowan Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Richard Deitch in for Bob this week. And Richard, uh, we, we've kind of started a little bit of a tradition. Uh, uh, midweek, we end up taking a look back and maybe a look forward uh, to the National Football League. And this day is no different. Wednesday is always a good day, John, to me to talk about the NFL, because you're not so far removed from the Sunday games. But yet you sort of get a little bit of a taste, obviously, for what's coming up, including Thursday Night Football, which is which is coming up quick. We have an excellent guest. Damian Woody is a longtime ESPN NFL analyst. For those who are football fans, you're probably familiar with him as an excellent offensive lineman. I would say very famously for the New England Patriots, couple, you know, part of a couple Super Bowls there. And um, he's a guy who played at the highest levels of the game, obviously coached by Bill Belichick. And has now become an excellent analyst for ESPN. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. And pulls no punches, which is, I think, what has made him such a valuable resource uh, for the worldwide leader uh, on, on, on the National Football League. As you say, offensive linemen are very good as an analyst. They're generally, that's sort of the, um, they're pretty much truth tellers because they've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. and, and they feel the pain more than anybody else. So that's Richard Deitch. Damian Woody joins us after this on the McCowan Podcast. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. John Shannon, Richard Deitch, joined by Damian Woody of ESPN with uh, everything that uh, is going on in the dun, 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 National Football League. Damian, welcome. And uh, let me ask you this. I, I heard a report this morning. Aaron Rodgers is saying he can play before the end of the season. What do you make of that? <laughs> oh, modern medicine, right? It's funny. Uh, you know, it's funny to talk about modern medicine and some of the things that Aaron Rodgers talks about as far as, as it relates to medicine. Um, I've had that Achilles surgery before. And, you know, it basically ended my career. Um, but, you know, the whole process is gone has sped up so fast and we have an example of cam Akers running back he's now with the minnesota vikings who came back basically in the same season from an achilles uh injury and now we're gonna now aaron Rodgers want to do the same thing i'm not going to put anything past aaron Rodgers. i'm still skeptical because it's such a tight timeline but with the way medicine is going and rehab uh anything is possible today I mean, I want to ask you, uh, I mean, you've been, you played obviously at the highest level. Uh, you're a broadcaster now at the, um, at the outlet in the United States that essentially sets the tone on conversation. And so at, when we get to week five, like there's four games now in the books, you have a little bit of a sample size on each team, but you know, there's still a long way to go, you know, 13 games, whatever. At this point, can you make definitive judgments about a team or for you? Does that sort of line come, I don't know, week seven, week eight, week nine? What is what does week five represent for you in terms of an overview kind of look at the at the league? Yeah. So as a former player, and this is where, you know, being under Coach Belichick um kind of comes into play. We always to break up the season in quarters. And so most coaches talk about teams don't really show their tendencies until after a quarter of the season. And so now we're starting to get things are starting to come into focus, what teams' identities are, what they're like, who's good, who's not good, so on and so forth. And so now you're starting to see the usual suspects, the San Francisco 49ers, the you know, Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, obviously the Kansas City Chiefs, 
you know, a lot of those teams are right where they're supposed to be. They're at, at, at the top of the food chain. Uh, we got a couple surprises out there, but, you know, the one thing about the season is so long and injuries happen, things can happen. But um, predictably, a lot of the teams that we thought were going to be good are good at the big, at this quarter point in the season. Got one follow-up on that. Um, when you see, like, the Dolphins roll a team as big as they did a couple weeks ago when they put up 70, and then you see the Bills really, I mean, play as good a game as they played in a long time against the Dolphins. Do you? How do you evaluate like those two teams? Given that you know, on the there's one week where the Dolphins look like they're they're going to win the Super Bowl by 50, and then the next week the Bills look like that team, and we're only four weeks removed from the Bills against the Jets blowing a game against Zach Wilson um, and a quarterback who had to sort of come in. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of interesting. Like the Bills and the Dolphins are particularly interesting to me because there's an argument to be made sort of like a lot of different ways on them. How do you see that? Yeah, listen, I'm not going to annoy anyone right now. I'm not going to put a gold jacket on anyone right now. <laughs> we still got a lot of football left to be played here. Um, what it just shows you is anything can happen week to week in the National Football League, right? You know, the, the Miami Dolphins go out there and hang 70 points on a, let's be honest, a very bad Denver Broncos team. They're, they have arguably the worst defense in the National Football League, so with that type of speed and, and all the playmakers that the Miami Dolphins have, it's not surprising that they did that. Uh, but Buffalo, clearly, listen, any, any you ask anyone, even Buffalo fans, when Josh Allen usually comes off a bad game, he, re- he rebounds in, in, a, in a great way. And he's done that. The team is – he hasn't played – he hasn't been what, what I call hero ball, where he feels like he's trying to do everything on his own. He has playmakers. He has guys like James Cook, obviously Stephon Diggs, you know, Dawson Knox, all those guys. He's relying on those guys a little bit more, and the defense is playing fantastic football. So the Buffalo Bills, quite honestly, are where I thought they were going to be. They're one of the best. You can make the case. Buffalo is arguably the best team in football. But, again, we're just past a quarter mark. There's so much football left to be played, so many things that, that could happen in the season. Actually, Damien, your your thought about Josh Allen not trying to do everything himself is an interesting one. Did you get a sense late in the season last year he was trying to do that and and perhaps it's a lesson learned? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, he's you know, the the thing about, you know, you you find yourself in a conundrum with Josh with a guy like Josh Allen because he's so talented. Um and for an athlete like him. You don't want to take away from what makes him special um, because he has trem- he's a tremendous athlete, tremendous arm talent. He can make all the throws. He can make plays that not many quarterbacks out there can make. But also at the same time, you know, the number one job of a quarterback is to take care of the football. So it's a delicate balance with him. And I think the most important thing is Josh understanding that I don't have to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times you watch Josh last year, it just felt like he was trying to force things. He he was pressed, and he doesn't have to do that. He has a lot of fine players around him, and I think if if he continues to play like he's been playing uh, the, over these past three weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, then this Buffalo team is 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 as good as any team in the league. You know, there. Uh, uh, go ahead, go Richard. Ahead, go, no, you go. Sure. Yeah, this you know the Bills are obviously of great interest. Uh, to people who'll be listening to this podcast, you know, John and I are based in Toronto, but people across Canada listen to the podcast. Um, if you're in the middle of Canada, you might be a Vikings fan. If you're sort of Western Canada, you probably like the Seahawks, but the lions and the bills are probably the team that people are really into in Ontario. And this week, even though the bills really looked phenomenal, as you said, they did lose Tredavious right white for the season. And yes. uh, it's uh really like a a heartbreaking story because the guy really worked hard to get back. He was such a great player prior to his first injury. Um, Seemingly uh, from what everybody says in the locker room, like a great guy and a guy you want to rally around, but it's a real issue when you lose a starting corner cornerback, as you know, given how great the wide receivers are in this league. So from what you've seen from Buffalo, is, is the approach that you try to rely on the people who are behind Tredavious White and you've already got a great defense up front or because, and this is the interesting thing to me, 
because you have a real chance for a Super Bowl and because maybe you owe it to your organization to really go for it, do you try to find a starting cornerback, let's say, on a really bad team like a Denver or something like that and really go for it? Like, how would you if you were the general manager of the Bills, like how would you approach this particular situation? You know, that's a great question, Richard. I think the Buffalo Bills are a team that they're a Super Bowl caliber team. Um, I know they've addressed the cornerback. They, they drafted a kid out of Florida, uh, I think it was last year. The yeah, Kyrie Elam. Yeah, yeah Kyrie Elam. He's, you know, unfortunately, it seems like he's off to a rocky start to his career. Uh, but listen, if there's a trade to be made, I think that's something that you're, if you're the front office of Brandon Bean, um, if that, that's something that, you, you know, you might have to look into, you know, speaking of, I know that, you know, uh, speaking of another team, I know the New England Patriots, they lost their cornerback, their, their rookie cornerback, Christian Gonzalez. They made a trade today. They did, you know, yeah. For J.C. Jackson. So if you're Buffalo right now, you got to be scouring, trying to find, you know, someone to help replace replace um, Tredavious White because he's such a fine player and you want to just, you know, send a message to the locker room like, we're all in on this thing. We're 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 going for it, so I would expect the front office to look everywhere to try to make that uh, make that adjustment. One of the teams that was expected to be all in um, and got off to a horrendous start, and we thought that they had turned it around a little bit uh, with the, with a victory were the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and you know, here they go. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to go zero and three, Damian. So Joe Burrow came back with the the bad calf and played, and they won. And then all of a sudden, the following week, they lose again. Where where do you see the Bengals in all of this mess? They're in trouble. The Bengals are in trouble um, because Joe Burrow has no. Joe Burrow is immobile in the pocket. The thing that makes Joe Burrow special. Listen, no one would mistake Joe Burrow for you know Michael Vick or or somebody you know Lamar Jackson in the pocket. But the one thing that Joe Burrow does as well as any quarterback is. His, his ability to maneuver around in the pocket and make things happen. Well, because of that calf injury, which we have been talking about, you know, all preseason, whether they should sit him, whether he should play, this is the worst possible thing that could happen to the Cincinnati Bengals. Not only did he go out there and play, but they lost their first two games, go 0-2 in the division. They're sitting here, I believe they're 1-3, and mm-hmm. and the quarterback is compromised. Yeah, And so... You're just, you know, your quarterback is a sitting duck right now. He can't move around the pocket. Teams know it. They're going to continue to attack Joe Burrow if he continues to play. And so the Bengals, to me, are in the worst possible position right now. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And and even the receivers are starting to get a little, like, sort of frustrated. So Jamar Chase, I think he said some stuff. So that – Well, if, Richard, if you remember, it, when when the, the injury initially happened, they, I think he did a – Jamar Chase did an interview on NFL Network, and they asked him about it. He said, I would rather Joe Burrow sit out the first five weeks and come back 100% than him play. And, I mean, listen, look at what's going on right now with, with Joe Burrow with this injury. Well, yeah, and, and remember, they signed it, you know, not too much before the season started. They signed him to that gargantuan contract. So it, almost yep. like they put more pressure on him to make sure that he was behind center, didn't they? Yeah, listen, sometimes, you know, again, that was that was probably that might have been the biggest debate um in the preseason. And I always feel I always feel like sometimes the organization has to save the player from themselves. Um, because mm-hmm. as a player, we always want to go out there and play. But when you're the face of the franchise like Joe Burrow is, and you dealing with that type of injury, and I've had that injury, and it's a very delicate injury. It's a type of injury that can literally stick with you all season long. I felt like they should they should have sat him and just rolled the dice as far as the backup quarterback. But again, now they're in the worst possible position because their quarterback is compromised and they're losing football games. Okay, so the, the, the other the, the other team that I think a lot of people expected to be better, even though they had a new coach uh, recently, um, is Minnesota. I, mm. I mean, you know, when you're. When the highlight of the week is Kirk Cousins tracking down a guy trying to trying to stop a pick six, you know you got a problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Minnesota is another team. Obviously, we saw last year. You know, I called Minnesota the cardiac cats last year. They had eleven. They won like eleven 
one score games, which is, I think it set an NFL record last year. Yeah. That's very hard to duplicate. Um, and I think we're seeing the flip side of that right now. Kirk Cousins is, listen, I always say he's a stat stuffer, not necessarily a guy that's going to, you know, win you the big games. And unfortunately, what you're seeing in Minnesota right now is that team seems like it's stuck between rebuild and trying to win. They don't know which way they want to go. It's almost like they're trying to rebuild on the fly, and that never works in the National Football League. So I would be, I think the story for me with Minnesota is will Kirk Cousins be traded at the deadline? You know, if you're Minnesota, this is his last year under contract. Do you move him and try to get assets? If you're not going anywhere, I think that's the big story. Big a big story as it relates to uh, Minnesota Vikings. Hard, hard yeah, to trade. A, hard to trade a quarterback in, a, in season, though, isn't it? You know, it is. But you know, say you're a team, you know that that's kind of you. You know, you lost a quarterback, but you're still kind of in the mix, and you want to. You know, again, Kirk, you're basically will trade for a rental. Kirk yeah. Cousins is a, is a rental. So if you want to try to push yourself and get into the postseason and see what happens, I could see something like that happening. But Minnesota, again, it just seems like they're caught between a rebuild and trying to make things happen, and it's not working. Yeah, no, the, the one of the worst places to be is when your ceiling is like the wild card game, and you're probably not right. getting into that because you're good, but not good enough. I will say, I mean, again, you know, you'd have to see how it can match up, but Kirk Cousins as the Jets quarterback, the Jets are probably a playoff team. So, you know, you'd, you'd have to think about it if you're in a big market like that. Um, you know, you've really put a lot of um, a lot of emphasis on, like, you know, you want the team to win this year. There's commercial implications, Damien, as you know, like the Jets are on national television all the time. I mean, they can flex out of it, but the league anointed them, rightly so, with Aaron Rodgers. So that would be an interesting, that would be an interesting potential fit, depending on what the Jets would be willing to give up. Yeah, it depends on where the Jets would be at around the trade deadline, right? You know, right now it's about now. Right now it's about Zach Wilson. They're yeah. trying to see if this young man continues to build. And I know they lost against the Kansas City Chiefs, but he outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that game. And yes. so, for the organization, it's to encourage your sign. Listen, if they're if they're still if they're competitive for a playoff spot, you know, the trade deadline, if the quarterback situation is unsettled. I can see the Jets making a trade because, listen, Ed, the whole organization pushed their chips all in on Aaron Rodgers. They did. And so I know Woody Johnson, the team owner, Woody Johnson and company, still want to try to make the postseason. They don't want this season to go down in flames. So I think anything will be on the table. But but to, just to, to be the devil's advocate on that, if that's the case, why aren't they doing the trade today? Why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they? Or maybe they are, and Minnesota's not taking the bait yet. Well, I still, I, I think they, they, they truly believe that they, they can coach this uh, Zach Wilson up again. Exactly. He has been looking better. And then uh, last Sunday night was evidence of what Robert Sala has been talking about. So yeah. if the if he can continue to get better and better moving forward with the pieces that they have around him. That team can still make the postseason in the AFC. Yeah, this, I mean, the, I get the the optimistic view, and it's not an impossible view. Is you know the guy was one fumbled snap away from having a chance to beat the Super Bowl champs, and so Correct. you know that's that guy. If he plays as well as he did against the Chiefs, they will be a playoff team. The question is, can that you know can that happen? Right. I want to ask you just because we have you here and you have such history with the team, the Patriots. Um, it's it's been very rare, obviously, to see a Bill Belichick coach team over the last couple of years, um, you know, not be competitive for the division. And now you add like the Mac Jones situation in terms of like what is going to happen with his future. I mean, very few analysts out there know Bill Belichick better, just given how long you played for him. So, I mean, I have so many questions off this, but let me start on the first one. Bill Belichick to me doesn't strike me as a guy who is willing to at this point in his career like rebuild all the way but i don't know how the patriots can get better unless they bottom out and you know you know what i'm saying like if you bring in a caleb wilson or whatever the next great franchise quarterback you think is so what do you see as the near term for the patriots right now 
Well, listen, first of all, um, I think the quarter, you know, this is a quarterback driven league. We all know that. And, and I think most people will agree what they have at quarterback is not good enough to compete with the elite teams out here, especially in the AFC. It's just, you know, just look at, look at the way Mac Jones played, you know, beginning of this year. Yeah. He's just ha- hasn't gotten it done. Now, it's not all on Mac Jones. I can tell you that right now. A lot of it is, and it's where you, you know, this is a, 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 you know, you could definitely put blame on Coach Belichick on this one because he is the GM as well. He's the one that buys the groceries. And when you look at the New England Patriots, particularly on offense, there's no one that scares you. Mm-hmm. There's no like, there's no, there's no Jamar Chase. There's no Justin Jefferson. There's no Tyreek Hill. There's no one on offense that scares you. Okay, they have they have arguably, you know, the worst skill position group in the National Football League. They they just don't have many guys that can threaten you. And so when you have a quarterback that's not playing well, that his growth was stunted last year because you had defensive coaches that were offensive play callers. Then on top of that, you don't have guys that can that can help your quarterback out and create explosive plays. The Patriots are for for the first for for the first time in I would say over a couple decades, two decades, they're irrelevant. That's the worst place you can be is irrelevant. Yeah. But, it, but but like the loss on the weekend was the worst loss in Belichick's history w- with the club. Yeah. Um, and I I I don't I I know you know him. We've I've never met him. Would his and I want to put this diplomatically without you know trying to be overly critical. But would his arrogance about that his system is better than anything else? override the fact that he knows he doesn't have quality players and they're trying and 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 Mac and and is he trying to put a square peg into a round hole with Mac Jones yeah listen I, I think that you know I know you guys have heard the Patriot way you know it's kind of this um philosophical um almost I don't know it's it's an air about the organization about doing doing things the right way, you know, doing your job. That's what, that's one thing Bill used to always say. Do your job. Everyone do your job. Don't try to do someone else's job. Do your job. Be on time. All these type of things. And he's a, you know, he's a guy that he's a grind. Like, he's a grinder. He will grind on you. But here's the thing. All of that is great when you're winning. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're not winning, then players are like, well, wait a minute. Why why?" Why are we doing all of this if the results are not there? And so, you know, for two decades, when he had Tom Brady and all the great players that were that were that played within the organization and we were winning a bunch of games, players didn't mind because we were winning, we were winning, you know, championships and all those other things. But now you know, you're a few years removed from Tom Brady, and you know now you're like any other organization in the National Football League trying to find a quarterback. It's tough, and you and it's tough to have your players buy in when they're not seeing the results out there on the field. But you make it sound like a self fulfilling prophecy, then. Well, listen, <clears throat> I, I just feel like I was there in the beginning. He had the vision. And, you know, there was a point in the beginning where people thought he might not have made it. I remember his second year, like we were playing the, at the time, the San Diego Chargers. They were like one in three in his second year. And people were like, is this dude even the right dude, like the right coach to coach his team? Yeah. We won that We won that game, and they literally kind of jump-started us the rest of the season. Fast forward, we win the Super Bowl that year, and then all of a sudden, he's a genius. Okay, <laughs> then we win the Super Bowl. We win the, you know, we won the Super Bowl two thousand one. We win it again in two thousand three. Then they repeat in two thousand four, and so boom, a dynasty is born. The Patriot way, you know, that whole mantra is 
It's the talk of the league, and, and guys want to want to take less to go play and, and play under the Patriot way. That's all great when, it, when everything is going great, but when you're not winning and you don't have the quarterback, it, it's a, it, it becomes a lot harder. That's the voice of Damian Woody uh, on the McCowan podcast with Richard Deitch and John Shannon. Back after this. Damian Woody's been kind enough to join us to talk about the NFL. And, and Damian, trust me, as a Canadian podcast, we will get to talk about the Islanders at one point. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we are going to talk about the new, your favorite NHL team, the New York Islanders. Um, but uh, I've got, there, there's two things that are, that are at the top, and it's, they're almost a lot too many negative things. What the hell is Matt Canada doing in Pittsburgh? Seriously, what is he doing in Pittsburgh? With this offense, I mean, it, it, and and why is Mike allowing it to happen? <laughs> yeah, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, l- listen, uh, Matt Canada. You know, the thing that that really strikes me is Matt Canada wasn't even good in college. Matt Canada <laughs> wasn't even good at LSU, and so now you got a guy here in Pittsburgh, and all of a sudden you think he's going to be good. And listen, Mike Tomlin is, um, you know, he's a mirror of the Pittsburgh Steelers organization as a whole as a whole Pittsburgh still organization has only had three head coaches they're very loyal they're very successful Mike Tomlin has been successful and I think Mike Tomlin has been loyal to a fault in this particular situation because clearly this offense under Matt Canada and this thing goes back to last season it just hasn't gotten it done they can't block anyone they're all their offense is stale you, it's not anything that you see like a, like out of most offenses, you know, in a National Football League. Their runner can't. Their run. The you know Najee Harris. He's not doing anything. He's a former first round pick, and so you got all these pieces on offense, talented guys. I might add, and they they're not anywhere close to where they should be developing within that organization. So. I think Mike Tomlin has a decision. He has a decision he's going to have to make. I would have already fired Matt, Matt Canada, but apparently Mike Tomlin hasn't hasn't come to that conclusion yet. But I, I think that the dawn is near uh, for Matt Canada as, as an offensive coordinator with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to uh, bring up the Niners, but it's sort of for a larger point. Um, you know, the – you and every other person who's either played in the league or is an analyst always sort of harps on the importance of quarterbacks. And it's very obvious that like, you really can't win without a great one. And so, you know, Joe Burrow is a, is a number one overall pick. Josh Allen is a first round guy. Um, trying to think of the great quarterbacks in the league, you know, Patrick Mahomes was a first round guy. Lamar Jackson was probably, uh, uh, should have been drafted in the first round. The Ravens actually. Well, you're not saying Brock Purdy's name. Well, that's my point is so like I like can understand like, you know, even a knucklehead like me can understand or see like this person in college looks like they're going to be really good. They just have the skill set or they have a great arm. So Brock Purdy comes into the league and he goes to the Niners and he's been incredibly effective as the last guy picked in that draft. So maybe you can explain this. So like how how can that happen? Like how does a Mac Jones have less success than a Brock Purdy, given all the scouting that exists, all the analytics that exists, all the strength tests that exists. You know what I mean? In some ways, Brock Purdy is a miracle in that, like, this can even happen in 2023, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Listen, I will say this. The draft isn't an exact science. It's far from it. We, we've, seen, we've seen so many guys. We've seen so many busts. There are more busts first-round quarterbacks than hits. Yes. It's just, that's just a fact. And, you know, the one thing with Brock Purdy, here's a couple things work that, that I think work in his favor. Number one, Brock Purdy played a lot of games in college at Purdue. He played a lot of games. That matters. When you're able to get that much playing time and you see a lot of things, I think that helps your development go on to the next level. Number two, Brock Purdy is a pretty good athlete. Mm-hmm. Anyone who watches Brock, Brock Purdy play, the guy moves around. He has a live arm, and he's smart with the football. And so, 
he goes to arguably the the best offensive play caller we have in our league in Kyle Shanahan. And on top of that, Richard, he's surrounded by some of the best weapons in the National Football League. Definitely. I mean, think about it. You got Christian McCaffrey, who you can make a case right now as a league MVP. He yeah. is playing out of his mind. Then you have Debo Samuel. You have Brandon Ayuk. You have George Kittle. And oh, by the way, you have one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. I've always said you're only as good as the players that you're surrounded by. Well, guess what? Brock Purdy is surrounded by a hell of a cast with a hell of a play caller at his disposal. So this let me let me let me follow up on one thing because it gets to something I'm always fascinated by, and that's so much. And you know this again from being a pro athlete. So much of your professional athletic career is really in some ways a function of luck, where you end up being drafted, where you end up. Abs- so absolutely. Agree that based yes. on everything you just said, if I place Mac Jones with the 49ers, I'm not saying he'd have Brock Purdy success, but would he not, in theory, be much more successful given the reasons you just said, those great skill position guys and a great offensive line? I would tend to say yes. I would absolutely agree with you. Most of, most times, it's about where you go as a player. It truly is. Because, quite frankly, there's bad organizations and there's great organizations. And so the 49ers are a great organization. They're, they're, they're good top to bottom. They ran well. They got good coaching, a good infrastructure. So, and especially for quarterbacks would die to go to, Fort, to San Francisco because Kyle Shanahan knows how to coach quarterbacks. Right. And so if you put Matt Jones in that system, Matt Jones would be successful because Matt Jones is smart and he knows where to go with the football. Well, I tell you what, there, there's two quarterbacks that, that are part of this conversation, even though they may not be directly part of the conversation. First of all, Trey Lance, because remember, you could draft Brock Purdy with the last pick, but your first pick was Trey Lance. And he's now not even on the roster, and they were quick enough to admit that they made a mistake. And then the guy that's probably saying, I'd like to play for Kyle Shanahan more than anybody in this league right now is Justin Fields. When you think of what he's gone through in Chicago, again, uh, pretty good game on the weekend, but not good enough. Uh, and it's and it is the difference between organizations, isn't it? I mean, when you think about you, I mean, the amazing thing: there are 32 teams in the National Football League. I'm most of the time it's a copycat league, but wouldn't you think that most of the organization would be built on a same structure at the same time? It's too much common sense, Damien. Yeah, you know, you, it, it, you would think so, but not, you know, what, here's what happens a lot of times. You know, quarterbacks are, you know, the most important position in sports. And you have to, you have to have the right infrastructure around them. You have to make sure that when you bring in these young quarterbacks, that you know exactly, you got to have a plan in place to develop these guys. And so much of what these organizations do is uh, it's just malpractice. It really is. Case in point, Chicago. Mm. You go out here, you draft, you draft Justin Field. Okay. New, you know, general manager, coach, guess what? They fire everybody. Now they bring in someone totally new who's not even loyal to Justin Field, who are trying to have Justin Field do things that maybe he's not comfortable doing. If you remember in that press conference that Justin Fields had, the one thing he said is, I'm going to go out there and, 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 and basically do me. I'm going to go out there and do the things that are comfortable for me. That was striking to me because that told me that these coaches are making him do things that he's not comfortable doing. Now, why would you do that? You know, again, I call it coaching malpractice. So I look at the Bears situation, and I think it's teetering. On, it, it, it really is teetering on disaster right now mm-hmm. because as Justin Fields played well, although I'm not going to absolve Justin Fields. He has, he has to do better in, in a lot of areas of his game. And he had two critical turnovers at the end of the game. But the what they've done for him organizationally has just been an abject failure. And I think it's gonna I think it's gonna lead to Justin Fields not being a part of the Chicago Bears in 2024. 
What uh, you know, we have a uh, one of the international games this weekend uh, coming up um, in London, and uh, or maybe it's uh, Tottenham. You no, know, it's in, you know, it's in London. It's in London. Yeah, it's in London. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Bills are going over. Bills, Jaguars, right? Um, and so now that you know the NFL, Damien has obviously had this now for a couple of years. They played in Germany. They played in London, Mexico City. Um, what do you think players think of this? One and two because this is something I think the NFL dreams about, whether it happens or not, it's another story. Do you think like there is a scenario where they could put a team so- in some place other than the United States and actually make <laughs> it work for the, for the players, for the league, for everybody else? Richard, there's no doubt in my mind. That's what, that's where this whole thing is headed. There's no reason why the NFL has been having all these games in London. Now they moved to Germany you know, obviously games in Mexico City, they're trying to grow the game. You know, the, listen, I think that I think the, the NFL is reaching its tipping point here in the United States. It's clearly the king, king of the castle here in the United States. And so now what's the what's the next thing on the horizon? OK, we need to move it overseas. You know, that's where the M- NBA holds. You know, that's what the NBA is. King is international. Yeah. Well, guess what? Has the NFL ever conceded anything to anyone? Nope. No, no. So they want to they want to go international with it, and I think somewhere in the near future, I would say, I don't know, maybe in the next decade, you know, decade, decade plus, they're going to put there's going to be a team that's going to be overseas. How would a play maybe, like, mul- let's, maybe let's, multiple? But let's say so. So okay, let's say there's a you got a kid coming out of what well, I don't know, whatever. I'm making you know Alabama, Texas, Michigan. Like I know that they'll play where they'll play, and the you know, contracts are contract. But that's I I don't know. I do you, that's going to be a really big adjustment, I think, for yeah. the athletes, right? To be based in, you know, soccer players are used to this, but NFL players are not used to playing in Germany or playing in London. Yeah, I think it, 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 that's going to be that's going to be a big deal. And you know, I haven't had much conversation with guys about that, but generally, I would think you know most guys are thinking. You know, this is a uniquely American sport. Right. And so, do you know, I don't know if I want to be, you know, over in, you know, in in Europe playing uh, an American sport. Um, I, I, you know, guys are obviously going to go where the money is, but I don't know if they'll necessarily like it. Yeah, interesting. Well, by the way, the fourth largest media market in North America uh is north of the united states uh and it's funny the stories of the nfl coming to toronto um notice how he said toronto the american way huh uh it's toronto i gotta say it the canadian way toronto um the stories have disappeared the stories have disappeared of of the nfl coming to canada which I, I found fascinating. I, I do think that I, the first place that they'll expand to outside of the United States, in my opinion, will be Mexico City. I think they will be in Mexico City. Azteca Stadium is being renovated as we speak, which is why they're not going there this year. I think that. And I think it's going to be London. What do you think, Damien? Travel is so much of a problem, it, it, though. Travel is a problem. Yeah, but England, I think it's a harder. This is just my take. I think it's a harder sell to players and everybody else if it's not an English-speaking country. That's just my. Uh, if if I had to make a guess, I would tend to I would tend to lean London. Really? I, I think that yeah, I think I think the NFL has really like it's a really big fan base in London as far as um, you know fans in that city of a lot of teams. So. I think that London, in my opinion, will probably be the first international city to to have a football team. And the Jaguars owners, uh, the cons have a big connection to London. They own a soccer team there, Fulham. So, right. yeah, that would <laughs> yeah, be... Hey, the Blazers I, owned Manchester United for a decade. What no, are you talking no, no, about? I, I mean, come on. Like, I'm just trying to think of, like, the players, the league office and stuff. Like, London is a... Big, rich, wealthy, sexy city. No offense to Mexico City. It just feels like London feels like the NFL to me. Like big, over the top, yeah, cosmopolitan. It just that that makes sense to me. It's a yeah, it's I, expensive for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just like I said, I, if I'm a bed man, I, I I would probably 
lean towards London. All right. Hey, listen, before we let you go, uh, I would assume the marquee matchup this week is the Cowboys and the 49ers on yeah. Sunday night. Um, is 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 this a real measure for the Cowboys? I mean, I think we all think we're the 49ers all in this. But can, can the Cowboys, can they prove anything by beating San Francisco on Sunday night? Oh, absolutely. I think this will be a big game for Dak Prescott. I think to exercise some demons because the 49ers have been the one team to knock them out, you know, the past couple of years. And so, you know, obviously we're early in the season. It's not a playoff game, but it's going to have the feel of a playoff game um, because you know how these games, these games, see, unlike basketball, baseball, every game in football has ramifications, seeding, all those type of things. So, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you go out to San Francisco and you win that game and you're able to somehow host a playoff game or maybe maybe get the number one seed. Mm. I mean, that would be huge, huge for the Dallas Cowboys. So it's a huge game for Dak Prescott, in my opinion. I'll tell you what, the, the, the tools, though, that the 49ers have, you talked about Debo Samuel, you talked about Christian McCaffrey. George Kittle's not getting the ball enough. I mean, I, George Kittle's got to be frustrated. He's not getting in, in, enough catches. And, and then you got the defense with Bosa. I mean, they, they are right now, they have to be considered the elite of the of the National Football League. I mean, listen, right now, I would think the 49ers are the best team in football. But, you know, like anything, these things change week to week. All right, my last one for Damien. This is just a fun one for me. A total selfish broadcasting question. <laughs> Know that uh, your old running mate, Tom Brady, at the moment is signed for Fox for next year. I, I think yep. he will get to the booth, but I understand people who think it may not happen just because Tom obviously has all these other interests, et cetera. If Tom does eventually get to Fox, Damien, I think he's going to be better than people think. I, I, it just doesn't strike me as a guy who's ever going to go into a situation and not be prepared and not be in a position to succeed. That said, I think you'd even admit, had somebody said 15 years ago Tom Brady was going to be a broadcaster, that he would not have been the guy you would have put at the sort of top of the list as to do that. So what do you what do you if let's say he does eventually get there, what do you expect from him? I think it's going to be good. I think because A, I've never seen a bigger competitor in my life. Like Tom has a big ego. Like he wants. He wants to be the best at everything. He competes at everything. Mm -hmm. So regardless of his football, you know, playing, you know, drinking, whatever, like that dude wants to win. He wants <laughs> to be the best. So in order to be the best, you have to prepare yeah. like the best. And so his preparation will be second to none. Um, and so I think, he will, I think, me personally, I think he would be really good. Hold on, I, I, I can't, I can't believe that you would lose a drinking contest to Tom Brady. Oh yeah, I have, I have, I have, <laughs> I have. It was actually, it was in New England. You know, we, uh, we used to go out like every Thursday. Um, it, you know, the offensive line and Brady came one time, and we were in this like hole in the wall place, and he out drank everybody in there, all the linemen, everyone. <laughs> I'll drink all of us. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it, it kind of, it put me to shame because back then I could really drink. But uh, yeah, he got the best of me too. You guys have that, you have an off day today, I hope? Or no? Say what now? You have an off day the next day? Or did you actually have to practice the next day? No, we had to practice. But practice was, it was a lighter day. Like, you know, we'd have to, we didn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting in practice. <laughs> I hope he bought. He was making more money, Damien. No. No, he wasn't really making more money at that time. So, <laughs> no, like, he, he was just one of us. I love that. The the competitive thing, though, is interesting because, like, you hear these stories of, like, Michael Jordan. Like, he refuses to lose in, like, ping pong and will continue to play. He used to continue to play against guys until he beat them. And you hear stories like Brady, sure. Kobe. They're all the same. You know what I mean? It's Gretzky was like that. Gretzky was like that, too. They're, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're like their inability to lose is like the thread line for all these guys. Oh yeah, like that dude. Like if he loses at something, man, he gets pissed. Like yeah. like really <laughs> pissed. Yeah. 
Okay, last question, the most important one. What about the Islanders? Man, listen, I I uh I gotta get I gotta I actually I gotta get caught up on the Islanders. My man, my man uh Lou, uh Lou gotta get the, gotta get these guys going, man. Last year was disappointing for me, um, as far as the islands concerned. So I'm gonna get brushed up. I'm gonna make a call, a couple of calls over okay. there and see what's going on. But um but we I, listen, I went from tasting the finals like a couple years ago to not making the postseason. That's unacceptable. So we, we need a big bounce back year this year. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm going to open a night, you know, there for the Islanders. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, by the way, you and Lou have something else in common now too, Damien. What's that? You've both been on our podcast. Well, listen, I, if I'm following the footsteps of Lou, I'm doing something right. Yeah. Lou was on last week with us. He's one of our great old friends. Okay. He's one of our great old okay. friends. So. Thank you very much for this, man. That was a, it was a treat. Thank oh, you. Thank you guys for having me on. Damian Woody. That's Richard Deitch. I'm John Shannon. Back after this on the McCowan Podcast. Welcome back, McCowan Podcast. You didn't know Woody was a Big Islander fan, did you? I did not, actually. That's pretty interesting. He's going on opening night, which yeah, is pretty great. He, yeah, he'll be heart. there. And, they'll, and by the way, Islander social media will put out Tons of pictures of Damien saying he's one of our biggest fans, so that's good. Yeah, good. They uh, that's uh, you know the Rangers have enough celebrity fans, so this yeah. is good. <laughs> they do, they do. Hey, um, you know this is book release uh, time of year. Uh, everybody's getting ready for publication and release for uh, for the Christmas season, and uh, I've been through it. I was through it a year ago, and this year it's your turn, right? It is. So I got, I was uh, privileged to um, guest at it the 2023 year's best sports writing anthology. This is um, the sort of the newest iteration of a long running anthology, which has been uh, guest edited by far more accomplished people than me, you know, likes of uh, Dave, David Havelstrand and, you know, Bob Ryan and Jackie McMullen and people like that. And so what the book is, is it's a collection of the 25 best, uh, pieces of sports journalism as chosen by myself and my advisory board, and then 180 honorable mentions. And the book reprints these amazing stories. Um, and it's sort of a great collection of sports writing in one place from Triumph Books. You can get it now um, at Amazon or Goodreads or wherever your local uh, bookstore is. And then the one thing I would just note is that what was very important to me, John, was to honor the lives of Grant Wall, who's a longtime mm-hmm. friend of mine. Jonathan Sarks of the Ringer, um, and they they are they both passed away in 2022, and they are both in the book. They, uh, stories that they wrote in tw- in 2022 were reprinted um, in the book. So in many ways, the book is sort of a tribute to them. How how, how long did it take you to do it? Months. Um, yeah. The uh, the the challenge is to is to read as much as possible, and to really. Um, find pieces that may not be in traditional legacy publications, which are generally shared and passed around. And then the other thing that was a big challenge for me was just to protect me from my blind spots. You know, we all read certain things. We all have favorite publications. Mm -hmm. And that's why my advisory board, I intentionally picked people who didn't look like me, um, who thought differently. I mean, I was, just to be blunt, I'm the only white male out of my advisory board intentionally so. Um, and there were more women than men in my advisory board. Again, just to sort of make sure that I had diversity of thought, diversity of publications. And so that was the biggest challenge was to read everything, to not miss something. And then in terms of like the selections, it's so subjective. Like there's so much great work. It's it's like choosing between Gretzky and Lemieux. Like right. both are artists. There's not a right or wrong answer. And you just try to pick what you think are 25 stories that are reflective of the year. Or at least that's what I try to do. The fascination for me, Richard, in something like this is we always talk about the death of newspapers and how newspapers have gone by the way of the dodo bird. And yet uh, the level of creativeness, the level of opinion is probably at one of its highest peaks ever, isn't it? Yes. What I, what I found from this exercise is that we have never lived in a, in a time where there's more great writing, more great reporting, more great talent. The problem, and it is a problem not just in... Uh, the writing world, John, but as you know, the broadcast world, 
is that there are not enough jobs for these people to sort of maintain a standard of living to do this full time. So a lot of people in my book are they're freelance writers. Mm-hmm. They they do not have full time jobs, but they might have done a one off piece for one of these publications. So the problem isn't talent, and the problem isn't um, finding like this kind of genius. The problem is there's not enough full time work to support it, and so it's a bit of a sort of a depressing thought, but. If you told me 10 years from now that like 10 of the, my writers and the you know the writers that I select in the book were not in journalism anymore, I, I would say I probably believe you. I, okay. Like logically, it'll happen. One more time, blatant plug, please. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. The 2023 Year's Best Sports Writing, Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, and uh, as they say in the commercials, wherever books are sold. And I am told by a good source, there are a few Canadians amongst those that were chosen? There are at least one, two, three, four Canadians, I believe. There you go. Who have- Fantastic. And by the way, you mentioned uh, Bob Ryan uh, in uh, your preamble. Uh, Bob will join us tomorrow. Lots of stories going on in Boston. Lots go- going on in the world of basketball. Bob Ryan will be the man to get us up to date. That's Richard Deitch. I'm John Shannon. This is the McCowan Podcast. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.